0: Hey everyone, before we dive in this week, I did want to take a moment and apologize for how late this episode is dropping. I know it's kind of late on a Friday to get this out to you, but I appreciate you listening. I wasn't able to get to Houston to record this with my co-producer, Martin Thomas, this week. Just a lot of stuff going on coming off of homecoming. Uh, I'm leading a fall retreat for my youth ministry here next weekend, so it's been a lot of busyness around work world this week and as some of you know my fiance is still in Waco and so just very busy all the time and with that being said i did want to ask really quickly and i don't ever do this but one if you could pray for me as i'm adjusting to new rhythms of life in a new place it would mean a lot but two this podcast is something i do 100 on the side for fun and it does get strenuous and difficult at times and so if you would like to support this podcast in any way, one, you can be a sponsor and have whatever you want read during the show read. And if you are interested in that, shoot me a message. Let me know if you would like to sponsor, please bear with me. Um, and we will give you some time on the podcast. Other than that, there is a tip jar for this podcast. and everything you give to that tip jar directly goes to support the making of the podcast. You can find a link to that in the description of the podcast in whatever service you use to listen to us. Look at the description. Look at the tip jar. If there's anything you can do to help us out, we'd really appreciate it. Bears Illustrated is obviously our big partner and is really what keeps this podcast going right now. If any of you want to be part of making this podcast happen on a weekly basis, that's your opportunity, and I really, really appreciate you for listening and for all your comments on Twitter throughout every week and everything it's just a great thing and so thank you so much and with that let's get into this week's edition of please bear with me coming up on please bear with me former baylor great max garner talks all things baylor football and baylor baseball we look back at an outstanding homecoming game And we look ahead to what is sure to be a tough outing in Stillwater, Oklahoma this Saturday. This is Please Bear With Me. What's happening? Welcome into Please Bear With Me. My name is Scotty Swingler. So happy to be with you once again. Coming to you from El Campo, Texas today. Thankful for the opportunity to talk some Baylor football. I want to start with that homecoming game against Texas Tech. There's a lot of storylines coming out of that game. You know, Texas Tech can't get over the snap call and I get it snap gate okay it's kind of fun not going to get into it right Uh, those officials the other day were not great they messed up a lot of calls on both sides I'm not that worried about it I'm very proud that the Baylor Bears found a way to win a game in which their star quarterback had three inexplicably ugly turnovers three interceptions that were just not pretty but let me start there with with Charlie Brewer if you are one of those people that thought Gary Bohannon should come in to replace Charlie Brewer at any point in that game. You're out of your mind. I love Gary Bohannon. He's a talented athlete. I'm glad he's at Baylor. I think we could use him even more in the run game than we already are. I love the idea of having him be kind of a red zone, belldozer type package for him, right? Like, I really like Gary Bohannon, especially his ability as a ball carrier. He has not proven that he can throw the football consistently. He had one throw this past Saturday, and he went sailing over a wide-open receiver's head. He is not ready to quarterback this team. Is he capable in a situation of maybe pulling out a game if Charlie goes down? I think he is. I don't think he's capable of quarterbacking this team. And listen, Charlie Brewer did this last year, right? Right. He did this last year against West Virginia. He had three ugly interceptions, and we're like, who is this playing quarterback? I don't know why. I'm not saying it's justifiable, and Charlie Brewer is the first person that knows he can't do that, okay? He said after the game, I can't do that, right? Like, he understands that he played poorly in those moments, but Charlie Brewer, let's just look at the statistics. Don't Don't look at those three ugly plays and let that be the storyline of the game. Look at Charlie Brewer's statistics from Saturday. Charlie completed 64.8% of his passes, 24 for 37. He threw for 352 yards. Yes, he had three interceptions and no touchdowns through the air. That's not ideal, but he did have 15 carries for 55 yards and three touchdowns. So he was responsible for three touchdowns along with his three interceptions. Now, that's not good. Like You don't want your quarterback to have a one-to-one touchdown interception ratio, right? I'm not saying he had an outstanding game. I am saying he played well enough to win. You complete 65% of your passes. You throw for 350-some-odd yards. You run for 55 yards. You run for three touchdowns. You have put out there what you need to put out there to win most football games. And... Like I said on this podcast two weeks ago, when the lights are brightest and the heat is hottest, Charlie Brewer is always going to find a way to win the game. I believe it. He has shown it too often at this point. Not kidding. When we got the ball back with just over a minute and a half left, I thought, hmm, too much time. Charlie's going to get it. I looked at my girlfriend and said, Charlie's going to win it. He got sacked on the first play at the 99-yard line. I texted my buddies, Charlie Brewer is going to win this game. And we didn't win on that drive, unfortunately. Thanks, Denzel Mims, for not helping my argument against Terrence Ganaway last week. But Charlie did it. And I had confidence the entire time he would do it. That was his fifth game-winning or game-tying touchdown drive on Saturday. The guy plays his best football when it matters most in the two-minute drill. He's incredible. He's a magician. So you can say whatever you want about Gary Bohannon. If you were one of those on Twitter saying he should replace Charlie Brewer, you're nuts. I I don't know how else to say that. He played outstanding. And I would argue that he played a better game than Jet Duffy, who also played well. Maybe well enough for his team to win, right? Right. Jet Duffy completed 31 for 42. It's a fairly similar completion percentage, maybe a little bit better. For 362 yards, that's 10 more yards than Charlie. He threw two interceptions, and he was responsible for one touchdown through the air. Rushing, he had 12 carries for negative three yards. Of course, some of that includes sacks, but so does Charlie's. Okay? So Charlie Brewer arguably outperformed Jet Duffy who everybody's raving about this week after his performance, including Matt Rule. Okay, so pump the brakes. We live in an overreaction social media culture, and I tweeted this at halftime, okay? We live in an overreaction culture. You saw Charlie make some really bad hiccups in that first half, including those interceptions. And he did have one in the second half that wasn't pretty either, right? So I get it. But... That doesn't mean that you jump on Twitter at halftime and say, put Bohannon in. You guys are ridiculous. Stop. Look at Charlie Brewer over the course of his career. What you'll see is that he's had two atrocious halves of football in his career. And outside of that, he's been accurate. He's been a threat with his legs and through the air. Some of you saying he doesn't have a deep ball. Okay, listen, Charlie Brewer is not a, not a Bryce Petty. Okay, he's not a Robert Griffin. I'm not saying he can sling the deep ball. But he can throw the deep ball. Did you see that pass he made to Taquan Thornton in the second half against Texas Tech? Perfect deep ball. Have you seen some of the balls he's thrown to Denzel Mims leading him toward the sideline? Perfect deep balls. Charlie Brewer is not someone who's going to throw the ball 80 yards downfield. Okay, But he is someone that I believe 50 40-50 yard, yards down the field, I think he can put the ball in the right place. I just don't think he did on those interceptions, but he's capable. He's more than capable and he's proven it over and over and over. And one bad half of football does not negate what Charlie Brewer is. And that is an outstanding college football quarterback. So that's all I've got to say about that. But I did want to lead with that because I got really, really fired up and intrigued by people who thought Bohannon should come in the other day. It's just silly. Clay Johnston going down for the year, biggest loss. I mean, golly, what are you going to do? I think the only losses that might be bigger than that would be James Lynch and Charlie Brewer, and even then, I'm not confident. Clay Johnston having a career season, the season you want out of a senior leader, a season that was – putting him in contention for an All-American position and an NFL draft position. And I hope and pray that he still gets an opportunity to play at the next level because he is a great ambassador for Baylor. He's an outstanding football player. And ACL surgeries, man, ACL injuries, so tough. I mean, almost all of them happen in a moment when an injury shouldn't happen. They're never contact injuries. You know, Clay was cutting after he made an interception, and he was running with the football and made a cut, and his ACL popped. You know, Robert Griffin's ACL just popped. He got hit up high when his ACL tore, and, and his knee ACL popped when he got hit in the chest. I had a couple high schoolers who are in my youth group and playing in their senior year at El Campo pop ACLs a couple weeks ago on, you know, just little silly things, planting your foot in the ground and suddenly something snaps. I don't get it. I played sports for a long time. I ran cross country all through high school and almost at Baylor. I had plenty of opportunities to pop my ACL, I'm sure, and it never did. I don't know why this happens to guys the way it does but tremendously sad for Clay Johnston and wish him the best. As for the Bears, they'll turn to Terrell Bernard to fill that middle linebacker spot, and obviously they are going to rely on Jordan Williams and Blake Lynch to step up and play well on either side of him, and they've got to play well as a unit to make up for what Clay Johnston was doing, both in terms of pressuring quarterbacks when he blitzed and in terms of stopping the run when he was moving sideline to sideline and in terms of pass coverage with the deflected passes and interceptions he's had this year. You don't replace a guy like Clay Johnston. You just can't. But this Baylor team's got to step up, and there's going to be a lot calling on them as, we, as they go to Stillwater. We'll talk about that after I talk to Max Garner. But, you know, it's going to be a tough outing for the Bears without Clay Johnston. We'll see how they finish up the season without him. Because of the way this team has played and the way this coaching staff coaches, I have a feeling that we are still going to be a very dynamic defense. But the real test does come this coming Saturday. Outside of that, man, when it comes to the Texas Tech game, once again, Baylor starting slow on offense, finishing slow on defense, but pulling it together, finding a way to win. Tech is a better football team that I think we gave them credit for all season up to this point, and they proved it once again against the Bears playing a really tough game. Matt Wells is a heck of a coach. He's going to have that team where they need to be moving forward, and they're going to be a very, very good football team in the years to come. And I'm thankful we got the win at home. Thankful that it was homecoming, I had a good time. Uh, you know, I think a lot of players proved their value in that game, from John Lovett to Taijuan, to Denzel, to James Lynch. A lot of players stepping up and playing really well. We'll have to see how the season continues, but I was really pleased with what we saw against Tech. That once again, in the face of adversity, Baylor finds a way to win. It would be fun to learn how to put opponents away. Like let's not let's not act like these close games don't give us heart attacks, right? I, I've been having heart attacks. Both against Iowa State and Texas Tech. But Baylor uh, playing really well, playing really good football this year. Saw it again against Texas Tech. Really happy with how our defense played for the most part until the very end there. I did want to note that Bears Illustrated tweeted this out. It's probably Tim Watkins that put this out this statistic on Twitter about Baylor's defense with and without Clay Johnston on Saturday. And I did want to read it to you really quickly. With Clay Johnston on the field, Tech scored 13 points on their first 12 drives. After Clay Johnston left the game, they scored 17 points on their last three drives. That's the difference right there. So, uh, really happy with how the Bears played overall. I hope that we have some time this week to recover from the Johnston injury, as I mentioned. But just really thankful for the ability to be 6-0 and and bowl eligible. We are bowl eligible, and we didn't even hardly talk about it. Matt Rule has turned this program around in a hurry and really hyped about what he's doing at Baylor, and you heard me talk with Gannaway a little bit about that last week. For another take on the Texas Tech game and the way that Baylor keeps flirting with disaster, here's Andrew Minor with a minor Minute.
1: Thanks, Scotty. The Baylor Bears are living on the edge, undefeated by the grace of God and an elite defense. The major concern going into the game against Texas Tech was that the offensive play calling had been so conservative this year, which has forced the defense to play at a level above perfection. And they had been, allowing only 15 points and 306 total yards of offense per game heading into the contest with the Red Raiders. They held off Rice, escaped against Iowa State, and had just enough to win on the road against Kansas State. The question was what would happen if Baylor made a mistake, allowed a big play on defense, or turned the ball over on offense. It seemed that the Bears' style of play was bound to catch up with them eventually if adversity struck. And Saturday it did. Three interceptions by Charlie Brewer, a 79-yard Texas Tech bubble screen, really bad and untimely penalties, a season-ending injury to their best defensive player, and a nearly devastating overtime fumble blown dead by an illegal stat penalty. Baylor was able to do enough and catch multiple fortunate breaks to overcome another slow start. In the last six games of the season, though, Rule will have to be more aggressive earlier in the ballgame or risk the little things mounting into something bigger that the Bears will not be able to overcome against even tougher and deadlier opponents. If any team, however, can respond to adversity, it's this one. For this Minor Minute, I'm Andrew Miner. Thank you, and sick'em, Bears.
0: Before we get into my conversation with former Baylor pitcher Max garner i did want to mention that i was a guest on monday on travis corley's the Oso oh podcast so travis talks baylor football every week does things a little bit differently than we do here at please bear with me which is why i like it but he had me come on as a guest analyst breaking down What we've seen from Baylor so far, looking ahead to Oklahoma State and a bunch of other things. and I had a really good time. We had a really good maybe 45-minute conversation. Honestly, the conversation we had was kind of similar to what I envisioned this podcast being two years ago when you heard me saying, You know, tweet me your opinions, come on the podcast, let's have some banter, right? We really just bantered for 45 minutes and he let me break some things down from my perspective and it was a good time. So if you have an opportunity, I would love for you to go check out the Oso podcast. I think it's available everywhere this podcast is available and probably a couple other spots like iHeart. Ours is not, theirs is. The Oso Podcast. Make sure you put The Oso, not Oso, otherwise you may not find it. I couldn't on certain search engines, but The Oso Podcast. Check out the most recent episode where I got to sit down with Travis and have a pretty extended discussion about Baylor football. Thanks for having me on, Travis. We'll get you on here soon, I'm sure. And So I just wanted to mention that to you guys. Now let's move into this interview with former Baylor pitcher Max Garner. He's become a friend of mine. He's obviously very active on hashtag Baylor Twitter. We talked about a lot of things, including Baylor football, some Baylor baseball, coaching philosophies, and even maybe some gambling philosophy. Hold on to your seats. Here's my good friend and former Baylor pitcher, Max Garner. Hey, Max. Tell us, first of all, how good does it feel to be 6-0, man?
2: Man, what a feeling! And uh, doing it at homecoming when everyone came back and, and the atmosphere was back, um, as far as I could tell, anyway. I, I thought I, it was a blast. And uh, man, what? Uh, who thought we'd be here? He'd been here two years ago. Not
0: me, certainly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right, I don't think anybody.
0: Yeah, man. Hey, let's start with this. You played college athletics at Baylor, obviously a member of the baseball team. When a guy like a Clay Johnson goes down for the season. What does that do for the rest of the team? How do you think this Baylor defense is going to respond to that loss?
2: Man, I was thinking about that before we, uh, you know, when I was just thinking about what we were going to talk about. And, um, man, it's tough. Obviously, it's tough. You don't want a captain and, it's, you know, a, a guy who's been around for a long time um, that obviously a lot of people look to uh, to go down. I mean, he was, he was dominant. There's no other word for what he was doing all year. You know, I I got to think that everyone who's going to step into his position, whether it's one or two or three guys that have to fill in directly for him and all the people around him, you know, they don't want it to be known as the, the defense that went down when Clay Johnson went down. And I think that um, probably will uh, play a big factor. I mean, I, I think it would motivate the hell out of me if I was in that position. So Terrell Bernard steps in to start
0: at middle linebacker. You know, there. It's you're right, like let's step up and replace the playmaker, but you can't replace him either. So right. how do you expect this defense to fare on the road in Stillwater? You and I both know how hostile that environment is. How do you expect that defense to step up? I mean, that's a tough game to come <laughs> out in your first game without Clay Johnston. That's kind of bad luck on the draw on that one.
2: I know. After a double overtime and everything too, it's one of those, you know, kind of sigh, we're going to Stillwater in this situation. Like it always seems like there's something when you're going up there and it's hard enough to play there anyway. Um, But, man, I expect these guys to fight. I've not seen anything otherwise uh, from this group all year. And they look totally different to me even from the the, uh, end of last year. Um, And I think, you know, some of it's going to have to be coaching because you've got a scheme for, I think, you know, Uh, Clay was covering up a lot of holes that may not have been seen otherwise because he was just so all over the place. And so I think, you know, it's got to be a big combination. It's got to be something that the coaches are looking to do. Um, And, you know, the people who are filling in and the the linebackers around him just really, you know, got to pay attention to detail because that guy covered so much space in the passing game and the running game that it's just uh, a real tough replacement.
0: Now, last time you were on – you gave us a lot of new insight into then fully emerging, now fully emerged, uh, Charlie Brewer being an Austin guy like yourself. Um, so now, going back to some parallels, I think, between you and the football team, when you're a pitcher, you got to forget the bad pitches, right? Like You can't right. let one bad pitch or, or one homer off of you bring you down or you're going to crumble and and lose it you just got to bounce back have a quick short memory wipe it and move on for a guy like Charlie Brewer it is not often I mean he goes from throwing no interceptions all year to throwing three ugly picks not not outstanding defensive play pick I mean ugly interceptions on his part How uh, do you expect him to respond? Have you seen his capacity to wipe the memory real quick like that and maybe draw some parallels between yourself and him in terms of what that experience is like? Because I think a lot of us that didn't play sports at the college or pro level understand what that mental toughness is.
2: Right, yeah. And so... uh... Just to do the baseball uh parallel, we were always, you know, it, it's been drilled into my head since I was little and uh, sometimes, you know, more efficiently uh than others that, you know, it's always whether it was a good pitch, bad pitch, uh whether you're playing in the field hitting or even playing another sport, you know, whether it was good or bad, you got to think, so what, next play, so what, next pitch, because... The only thing that matters is the the next one that's coming. Um, once anything's behind you, whether it's good or bad, you just got to find a way to release it. And I think Charlie will be fine doing that. He's old now. If this was, you know, his freshman, if he was a freshman, that was a big recruit that started the first five games and had no controversy or anything like that around his play, I'd, then I'd be really concerned about a three-interception game. And I think even the throws he made in overtime show you that, you know, he got over it pretty quick. And I think uh, that dude just wants to win. I don't think he really cares anymore about, you know, a couple of bad stat lines.
0: No, that's a great point. And I think he definitely is is a guy that puts winning first, and that's obvious. Tell me this, uh, just your general observations on the team, you know, going from 7-6 and six last year to 6-0 and oh thus far. Where did you have his preseason? and how has Baylor met your expectations thus far and what have you what are your overall observations strength weaknesses just talk to me about what you see this year in Baylor football
1: yeah
2: I mean I was quietly optimistic and I I think very optimistic I never thought that um you know nine or ten wins was out of the possibility I just didn't think it would be uh that we'd be six and oh and really staring a chance at a great season in a in the face you know um the offense looks a lot better for the most part. Obviously, the Rice game was ugly. The second half of Iowa State, you know, was a little stagnant when they were trying to hold the lead. But it really seems like this year's team there's there's an, a game to game identity that hasn't really changed all year. And um, and the defense is obviously so much improved from anything we've seen at Baylor uh, in my lifetime, or you know, in either of our lifetimes, that. Um, man, it's just blown me off my feet how much of an improvement it was. I was really thinking, you know, we had a chance to, you know, sneak up on some people and and win, you know, anywhere from eight to ten games, depending on what happens in the coin toss games, because you're going to have a few of these close ones. Um, But now that I'm, uh, you know, halfway through the season, been watching, you know, more or less every play so far, um, man, I really like this group. I really like what Coach Rule and, Know we're doing, and uh, man, it's just been uh, more fun than I could even hope for. I mean, it's uh, it's been really cool to watch.
0: Obviously, you and I aren't on the practice field, but tell me this: as an athlete, what is it about Coach Rule that is so magnetic? Why is it that all of us, the moment he talks, just you know, are immediately behind him, and players seem to absolutely? rally around him I mean the recruiting classes he's been able to put together especially that first one you know given how quickly he put it together bringing in guys like Tyquan Thornton who could have gone to LSU or Florida you know what is it about him that's so magnetic why is he so effective at
2: what he does I don't know I I would love to play for that guy every time he speaks I feel like I want to run through a brick wall and, and uh, get to McLean to watch the next game you know um, I think, you know, a lot of people around the country saw that um, kind of clip of speech he gave about toughness, both physical and mental toughness, um, at a coaching clinic, I think this summer, and uh, just that, you know, he wants his players, and I think what, what, what parents of recruits here is he wants his players to be tough mentally and physically on the football field, but he mainly wants that because it transfers to anything you do in life, and the people that really – you know, relay a message of wanting the players to both perform well on the field and have a chance to go uh, play professional ball in whatever sport they're playing, but also be that focused on setting people up for the rest of their life if it doesn't involve playing the sport is just huge because, you know, people get caught up in all the games and in any college, any, you know, sport in college athletics. But the fact is that, you know, 90% of those guys are going to play their last game in that college jersey and they're not going to be out, you know, making their living off of playing that sport. And um I just think that there's that crossover that not a lot of coaches really pay that much attention to. And I think partially that, partially his experience uh in college and pro ball, um, I think it all plays in. And then obviously he's just a confident guy who, you know, everything he says is, is just off the charts as far as um how how to teach kids and how to, you know, really mold young guys into men. And um I just I just really think that uh he's about as solid of a hire as you could come to find, you know, whether we were in a bad situation or not. I, I just think he uh we got one of the best in the country and, and he is like you said, he's magnetic and I uh hope he's here for a long time.
0: I'm gonna pivot just a little bit back to baseball because yep. I was probably eight years old if I had to guess, when I went to a Baylor baseball camp and still to this day remember how much I liked Coach Smith. Mm-hmm. Just kind but intense and thought the world of him all the way from, from that point up until, you know, uh, unfortunately I, I hate the way he
2: had to leave here at Baylor, but
0: tell us about Coach Smith. What was playing for him like?
2: Man, Coach Smith's awesome. He uh, and he did a lot for me because there's there's some people at Baylor that know how sick I got my sophomore year at Crohn's disease, and um, he I missed all of school. I missed you know my my whole what would have been my sophomore year athletically and academically, and um, I was in and out of the hospital, all this stuff, and. He never once thought about pulling any scholarship money away from it, even when we brought up, my parents and I brought up the topic of not knowing if I'd ever be healthy enough to play again. Um, I mean, Coach Smith is one of the best people on the planet, and he uh, he didn't have to go out of his way for a young guy who was sick as sick as I was who may have never have played for his program again. He He really didn't have to stick his neck out there for me, and he did. Um, with no questions asked. And I think that's the best way I can sum up Coach Smith is, uh, you know, no matter what he taught you baseball-wise and stuff was that, you know, that always, you know, stuck in my mind. And I don't think uh, I'll ever um, be able to make it up to him.
0: Yeah, and that I actually didn't know that, man. So that's really awesome for me to hear too. Just, again, adds to his character and what I know of him. Seems to be a parallel between him and Rule. You know, mm-hmm. I think both of those are guys that are committed, have shown that they're committed to their players and they always want to do what's in the best interest of their players. Everything from what Rule's done, you know, bringing guys like Brian Nance back on staff. And I feel like he stuck his neck out for guys at times as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I I really think um, I think, you know, Coach Smith is a little more. Or he at least came, you know, in interviews and stuff, he came across a little more late back. It's probably just because he's from the South and we all know how, you know, everyone was talking about how fast Rule talked and everything when he first got down here. Um, but yeah, I really think they're, they're both guys who think really hard about what they're going to tell their players, what they're going to tell recruits, what they're going to tell parents, you know, um, and how they're going to go about. Uh, you know, practice and preparation every year. I think they, you know, Coach Smith was, you know, big time into, uh, he he read all the time, he was quoting books and everything all the time. He uh, was really trying to make us think outside of the box to connect it back to baseball and back to life rather than uh, just drilling home you know, baseball-related talking points all the time. And it uh, really kept perspective for everybody. And, he, you know, he did his best to really keep us as grounded as he could when we were, you know, beating up on everybody in 2012 and as upbeat as he could um, the next year in 2013 when we were struggling. So um, I think when you have those two as as contrasting of seasons as we had back-to-back, my junior and then my senior year, you're really going to be able to tell – Um, what kind of person you have leading, and he never wavered. His personality never changed. He just tried to motivate us in different ways, and I think Rule probably is very, very similar to that. And, um, man, it keeps the players interested and and keeps them ready to go.
0: What do you know about Coach Rod? Do you have any relationship with the baseball program now, and and do you know anything about – because, I mean, he's achieved some – he's, like Rule, achieved some pretty quick success and seems to be very well liked around campus and by the players.
2: Yeah, I've only met him a couple of times for, you know, short stints and everything. Um, I still I, I watch most of the baseball games or at least keep up with them online when they're not, uh, you know, on TV or on a streaming uh, channel. But, um, man, that guy can recruit. And, you know, I was talking about someone who seems a lot like Rule. You know, he is excited to be there every day, whether it's a media event you know Big 12 media day, the Big 12 tournament, you know regular Tuesday game, that guy seems excited to be out on the baseball field every single day. And um I'm excited to see what happens this year cuz you know last year they were really good and you know had a couple injuries especially to Bradford, the left-handed starting pitcher that really could have helped out if he had started, you know, 15 games instead of 3 or 4. And, uh, but they lost, you know, a bunch of really big guns to the draft this year. So I think this will be a big time proving year for Coach Rod. And uh, I don't think he's going to disappoint anybody. I just think that it's going to be from the outside, you know, you had a first round draft pick, uh, a couple more in the top five rounds. And uh, he's going to have to really show everybody how good of a baseball coach he is this year. But I think they have enough coming back. And uh, I think that the staff really knows what they're doing. I think they're going to be fun to watch again this year.
0: All right, I'm going to draw one more parallel. I'm having too much fun. My favorite baseball uniforms are, I think we refer to them as championship gold. Does that sound right?
1: Yeah, yeah. The
0: gold jerseys, those are so slick. I've always liked when, when Baylor baseball puts those on. It seems that the Baylor football program is being stubborn about releasing their own gold uniforms on the field, right? So I, I want to ask you, what was your favorite uniform you wore for Baylor Baseball? And what is the football uniform combination you're most excited to see?
2: Oh, my! I liked the Sunday gold with the pinstripe pants, probably. Either that or our black. We had a black jersey that we wore for a couple of years with a black hat um, that I liked a lot. Uh, but I like the Sunday gold with that green hat with the yellow bill, or the championship gold bill, and uh, you looked a little bit like the athletics, but I thought it was really clean look and we wore it every, every day on Sunday, um, and we called it championship gold. Originally, you know, Coach Smith always said we called it championship gold because Big 12 championships are won on Sundays, and um, that's why we wore it every Sunday, so we all loved it. Um, as far well as the football team goes with their new – with all their new stuff, I was really hoping to see the green helmet, gold top, green pants. I saw a uh, recruit tweet a picture of it, that went out, and I think that's uh, going to be really clean looking.
0: Yeah, that's one I'm really anxious to see as well. I think it's going to be an adjustment period for some people to see the football team in gold again after the one year we tried the all-tan gold look. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, we looked like but, uh, glass
2: of champagne that year. It was weird. Yeah,
0: it was a disaster, but... I think these are pretty clean. I, I think I've liked what I've seen so far. I think it's going to be cool.
2: I agree too. They okay. built them to be really mixed and matched, and, and I think once they start getting into all of them, it'll, it'll grow on everybody who, doesn't, who still doesn't like it.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. All right, let's get back on, t- on track here. We took some fun some fun trails off the path there. Tell me what you think we're going to see from this team Saturday. I know you mentioned kind of how the defense needs to respond, but give us like a score prediction and how you think Baylor's going to fare in Stillwater this coming Saturday.
2: Yeah, this was one of the games I had circled as, like, you know, uh, at least before the season started, as one we would probably lose. And I think you did, too. I've listened to, you know, the show enough. Um, And it's just a tough place to play. I think we've definitely got more of a chance than I thought we did before game one of the season, play Johnson or not. Um, I think, you know, Oklahoma State's had some games that are hard to really tell how good they are. You know, they kind of held it close with Texas, and then they looked – you know, pretty bad against Texas Tech for most of that game. Um, but they've got, you know, Chuba Hubbard and uh, Sanders looks really good. I think, you know, I think we need to score 30 to, to put ourselves in the, in a real chance to win, maybe 35. I think it's going to, you know, be something, 35-28. You know, I, you know, I really hope we pull it out. I really still think this is one that I would probably say Oklahoma State has, you know, should be favored in whether they should win or not. Um but I think something like, you know, thirty five thirty one, thirty five twenty eight, something like that. Um and I think it just comes down to to how the defense fills in for Clay and then, you know, if Charlie if Charlie's back to no interceptions and in the running game gets going, I think there's no reason we can't come out come out of that place with the win.
0: One of the issues Baylor's had this season is the offense starts slow. Mm-hmm. and the defense has seemed to give up the most in, in the end of games. So your offense starts slow and then seems to catch up by the end. The defense always starts hot and then seems to peter out by the end. I think either would be a disaster in Oklahoma State. Yeah. How, If you're coaching that team, I mean, it's you can. it's one thing to preach it, and you know they're preaching it this week, and you know it's a topic of conversation. But how do you respond as a player when that's – you know, six games in, that's a trend. That's not just a one game thing. How do you, yeah. how do you overcome that?
2: I mean, it's got to be attention to detail, you know, in the six or seven days you have between games. Um, and then some of it, you know, is going to have to come down to, you know, for the defense at the end of the game and the offense in that first quarter to as as much as, you know, we're talking about getting over a bad throw or a bad pitch earlier, you know, like you got to block it out and, and just try to be aggressive. And, I think the offense starting better could probably help the defense keep their energy through the fourth quarter too. Um but, you know, as far as the offense goes, you know, I think the you know, it's it's just a, a game plan thing and you gotta go out there and be aggressive but also, you know, ready to, to execute from the get go. It's just seemed like there's been, you know, plays plays to be made in the first quarter of some of these games, whether there were drops or um charlie kind of you know overthrowing somebody on a on a go route a couple of times earlier in the year i remember in the first half too um you know it's it's close it's not like they're playing terrible at either of those times of games it's just that the offense seems a little uneasy for the first eight minutes for whatever reason and the defense that fourth quarter stuff i just think offense controls the ball a little bit more and you're kind of getting over um some of those mistakes that are happening in the fourth quarter for the defense that I think might just be fatigue. Um, but I got to imagine, you know, you just want to, especially for the offense, you know, you just got to get your game plan and really trust it and come out and be aggressive. And, you know, I I think you got to get it to Denzel or Taquan Thornton as early as you can and let one of those two go make a big play for us.
0: Well, you pointed out maybe the two most dynamic playmakers on that offense, certainly on the outside, I don't know if you heard my argument with Gannaway last week. He's already in the Taekwondo is a better wide receiver today than Denzel Mims. I know Denzel dropped one on the goal line this past weekend, which doesn't help my case, right, I know.
2: but you've got one throw to win a game. Max, who are you throwing to? Uh, that fade pass from the Oklahoma state game last year to Denzel when it was his only catch of the game. Um, I just – you know, they're different, and I heard you all talk about it last week. You know, Taekwon is uh, runs incredible routes, and when he gets a corner to take one misstep, you know, he blows them away and he's way out into the open field. But if he's got – you know, if we're on the seven-yard line and you just need to play into the end zone like you are talking about, like he doesn't have the frame to just box somebody out and go up and catch the ball like Denzel did. So I don't really know. You know, I know Terrence, you know, was getting all – you know hot and bothered about Taekwon being better than Denzel, I think it's a good problem to have. I think they're totally different from each other and just as valuable and uh but man, if we had you know if it's fourth and goal and we need a touchdown, I'm probably throwing to number five. I wanted to go back to him the next play after he dropped that ball.
0: Yeah, I'm with you one hundred percent on everything you just said. Hey, tell me this. Where does Baylor end up? You know, I heard you say 8-10 to 10 wins. Okay, there's a lot that can happen between now and the end of the season. Like 6-0 and is a great place to start, but you lose this weekend and the wheels could come off. You win this weekend and you could skyrocket. Uh, you could lose this weekend and bounce back. I mean, there's a lot of things that could happen with the schedule the way it is the rest of the way. Where does Baylor finish and who gets into the Big 12 title
2: game? Who gets into the big twelve title game is anybody's guess uh I mean I think right. Oklahoma's gonna make it. I think we might give Oklahoma a really good game, and we'd have a chance to to shake shake something up with them but they're they just look a little bit better than everybody else, even you know they beat Texas when Hurts even had a few turnovers and everything um, i think I think nine wins is uh is i think nine or ten is what I'm looking at, and that probably depends on what happens in the texas game um i uh i think we can be i'm with i'm in your camp Uh, maybe not as much with johnson out we'll have to see what the defense is but i think we're going to beat texas in waco and uh they you know they have a bunch of players but it just doesn't seem you know they don't they don't look on uh, tv like the talent that they have on paper and you know we say that about them in a&m just about every year but um, who knows what the game will turn out like, man. But I think, you know, I think no matter what happens here, I think we'll play well at home uh, against West Virginia off a little, you know, week and a half break and a night game on a Thursday and everything. And, you know, I, I really believe now. Uh, I just, I think we're going to get to 10 wins. And, uh, and you know, we might be that second team in the Big 12 championship game. Um, I really think we might. So, uh it's uh, it's really exciting, and, and no matter what happens uh, for the rest of this year, I think everyone understands how good we're going to be set up going forward um, next year and beyond. So I've just been uh, thrilled for this whole season and really excited to see what they do the rest of the way.
0: Yeah, I'm totally with you. And that Texas thing, man, I'm just – I've said from day one we're going to beat them at home. I'm not convinced they're that good as a group, kind of like you mentioned, but I'm also just not convinced that – Tom Herman's that good of a coach.
1: Yeah, maybe, that's maybe not, I.
2: That. Yeah,
0: maybe I'm the only one. But I, you know, I've already seen more out of what Matt Rule's been able to do in three years than what Tom Herman's been able to do.
2: Yeah, he made you know his first year it seemed, when he when he inherited the roster and it wasn't his recruits. It seemed like he made them a little bit better than they were under Charlie Strong. You know, they won one or two extra games, but it wasn't you know they weren't you know the quote unquote Texas is back from from every week of every year. Um, but I, yeah, I just don't know that I trust him. I and mean, I even have some friends in Austin that, um, that, you know, were are UT, UT guys and they don't really know, you know, what the issue, why they can't get over the hump because they definitely have the players, um, uh, you know, walking out there to do it. So, um, I don't know if it's a combination of the players. I, you know, I don't know if it's coaching or what, but I'm not sold on their staff. And, um, I'm just not sold that they can put together, a full game they've looked really good for a half at a time and stuff like that but against a good team if we put a lot of pressure on them I just don't know that they can put a a full game together
0: all right Max hey if you don't mind me sharing this you are my go-to sports gambler guy you 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 (laughs) know know what you're talking about when it comes to betting football so tell me this what one game in college football are you betting this weekend
2: this weekend, I don't even, I haven't even really looked at everything yet, man. I would have to, I would have to get back to you on Twitter or something like that. Um, I, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a hard look at our game. I, I really believe we're gonna keep it close up there, especially once we get through a week of practice and, and, uh, hopefully hear some, some good news about people filling in and, and the defense especially, but, um, yeah, I haven't looked at it enough this weekend to know this far out. I usually kind of check up on everything like Wednesday night. So,
0: All right, so you, t- you tweet at us what you're thinking, and we'll retweet it. All right, that sounds good. Hey, man, that's it. I'm going to let you go, but I'm going to say this on the pod so that it's out there for everyone to know. Uh, you have texted, to the best of my knowledge, one Glasgow Martin to try to get him to come on the pod. And I don't and I don't know if he's ever gotten back to you or what, but you tell Glasgow that I've just name dropped him and that we would love to have him on the podcast and for as long as he wants talking about whatever he wants, because I loved watching that guy play and you know, he was just he he was a special player and, and he'd be a great guest.
2: Yeah, I'll blow him up a little bit for you and maybe a couple other people will hear it and send him a text on the side.
0: All right, sounds good, man. Well hey, thank you so much
2: for coming on again this week, Matt. Hey, Scotty, no problem. Anytime. Uh, have a good one. Hopefully we'll see you in like the soon.
0: Thanks again to Max Garner. Really thankful he was able to give us some insight into things like Steve Smith and Rich Rod and Charlie Brewer. He's a really good resource for us, so thanks for hopping on, Max. Hopefully you can get some of those buddies of yours like Glasgow Martin and others to jump on this show soon as Well, But appreciate you as always. Now, Max, since recording that interview, has tweeted out his picks for this weekend. I will be retweeting those as soon as I publish this episode. So check out the Twitter feed for Please Bear With Me or check out Max's Twitter page if you want to see his picks for this week in terms of college sports betting. Of course, if gambling was legal in the state of Texas, I'm sure Max does not participate in any of that whatsoever. Let's look at this game in Stillwater. I went to Stillwater one time, and it was 2013 when I was a junior at Baylor. And man, I got to tell you, we all know what happened in 2013. Bryce Petty trip, you know, losing a number three ranking in the country. That was a tough game in Stillwater. I will say this that was the last time we came off a game against Texas Tech undefeated and went to Stillwater. Let's hope the results are different. This time I did write an article on bears illustrated this week I actually wrote a game story covering baylor versus tech for a class and then I wrote a game day Experience story about what Stillwater was like for that class and I published those on bears illustrated this week If you want to have a little throwback time capsule jump back to the 2013 season check that out on bears illustrated but y'all in all seriousness, I have not visited just a ton of college football stadiums but Stillwater, Oklahoma is by far the most intimidating and awesome college football environment I have visited. And I've been to Kyle, I've been to DKR, I've been to several others, right? Stillwater, Oklahoma is a terrifying place to go play as a visiting opponent. Those stands right on top of the field, the paddles, I'm sure by now at this point in the week you've all heard enough about it. You know Stillwater is not an easy place for visiting teams to win. With that in mind... I don't think we pull this out on Saturday. I don't think we do it. And that's not because I don't think we're capable of doing it. I do think we're capable of doing it. I just think the capacity for making mistakes is slim to none. You can't make any mistakes on the road against Oklahoma State. You can't do it at their place. You can't do it against Mike Gundy. He will take advantage of you. And I'm worried that our defense is going to give up some big plays to on the ground at Chuba Hubbard, the best running back in the conference without Clay Johnston. And I'm worried our offense is going to, once again, not be able to score quickly enough early. If we don't jump out to a lead early, I don't think we come back and take a lead. I would love to be proven wrong. I would love it. But I've got Oklahoma State by about 10 in this game. I think Oklahoma State's going to pull it out. I don't think Baylor's going to be able to do it, but it should be an exciting game to watch. If you're going to Stillwater, I said this about Manhattan and nobody took me up on it. If you're going to Stillwater and you want to talk to me next week about what the experience for you was like there in Stillwater, we'll get you on the podcast for an interview real quickly and you can tell us about Stillwater, Oklahoma this year. I would love to hear from you. Hit me up if you're interested in talking about the experience in Stillwater, Oklahoma for next week's podcast as we recap whatever happens this coming weekend in Stillwater. I think Charlie Brewer is going to bounce back and have a good game. I think Baylor is not going to embarrass ourselves like we did last time we were in Stillwater, but I, again, do think Oklahoma State, Chuba Hubbard is going to be too much without Clay Johnston to stop. They're going to have a big game on offense, and I don't think we keep up. Give me the Cowboys by 10, and I did predict this before the season. I said we'll start 6-0, and and we will have our first loss on the road to OSU. That has not changed. That's what's going to happen. Wanted to keep my comments on that short. I think Max Garner did a great job breaking some of that stuff down for us all ready. And like I said earlier in the episode, I had a hard time getting this done this week. Thank you for your patience as we got this together and published and to you. Thank you for listening. God bless you. Sick'em Bears. Let's hope for a win against the Cowboys on Saturday and whatever happens, we will talk to you next week from houston with my producer martin thomas so the quality will be back to snuff next week really love you guys and appreciate you very much i've been scotty swingler for bears illustrated and this has been please bear with me Please Bear With Me is brought to you by Bears Illustrated over at Baylor 247. Thanks to my man, Tim Watkins over there. Thanks to Martin Thomas for producing the podcast this season. I'm your host, Scotty Swingler. All the music you've heard today was from Iron Kids. Check him out at Iron Kids Music. See you next time.